Welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. It's a journey through the stories impacting rural economies and country lifestyles. Jay Madison's Rural America is also a production of Jefferson County Economic Development. Now here's Jay. Hey there, everybody. This is Jay Madison, and welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America, along with my co-host, the one, the only, the legendary Ron Robbins. Wow. <laughs> Might as well set you up for uh, for, for the... total failure. <laughs> no, not failure. I know you won't fail. It's just putting all the pressure on you yeah, so I can... Yeah. You know, all my mistakes are covered by you, so... Yeah. Uh, no, I'll get it. Good morning, Jay. Good morning, sir. Good to have you in here. Very excited about our show today. Yeah, we've got a follow-up from a show we did almost, uh, well, 11 months ago. Yeah, right? 11 months which, ago. Which now I'm really getting depressed because our guest today, uh, we're going to be talking about lake <laughs> effect snow. <right>? Yes, yes. <laughs> Yes, and and that's no reflection on you, Doctor Steiger. But you do usher in the season where we start to anticipate that there's white stuff coming. How you doing, Doctor Steiger? Good, 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 Jane Ron. Uh, pleasure to be here. And uh, well, I mean, the good news is the last four winters have generally been mild, but not up your way. Now Watertown, you got hit pretty hard last year. Yeah, well, did two, we? I two really, two yeah, really big, big storm events: Thanksgiving and. Uh, Christmas time yeah. frame, yeah. yeah, and the Christmas one uh, that was that was, and you know, Doctor Steiger, you talk about that, and it seemed like you know the last few years that lake effect band has really shifted north. Uh, you know, I can remember in the two thousands. Uh, you know, in fact, I was working in Syracuse at the time at the USDA offices and having to drive back and forth and. Ended up, you know, a lot of nights staying in Syracuse because that band would, you know, between Central Square and Pulaski would just be horrendous. And the last yeah. few years, it seems like it shifted more north, comes right up the lake, and, you know, it hits Fort Drum, it hits uh, Watertown, uh, you know, significantly farther north than it's been, which is pretty strange. Yeah, yeah, just the way the the pattern's set up to give it more west southwest winds, especially yeah. last year. I mean, like when Buffalo, I mean Buffalo, of course, makes big news because it'll be bigger of a city. But when Buffalo gets hit, Watertown area gets hit too. And yeah. uh, for our project, we were up there for uh, several days collecting data during those big events uh, back in November and December. Yeah. Yeah, we were uh, we were pretty excited to see those. And, and before we go any farther, I should do a more formal introduction of uh, Dr. Steiger, our guest today. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Scott Steiger. He is the director of the Lake Effect Storm Prediction and Research Center at the State University of New York in Oswego, about an hour to our south. And uh, he is our local lake effect weather or lake effect snow uh, expert. And last year, September 29th, we recorded a podcast on a study that Dr. Steiger and his students were about to start uh, looking at lake effect snowstorms and lightning that is produced during those snowstorms. And I think at the time you were talking about looking at the development of wind projects, uh, great big huge wind towers that are dotting the landscape, especially around the Tug Hill area. 
And was there a relationship between lake, uh, lake effect snowstorm lightning and those those wind towers? Um, was there what were the wind towers uh, creating more lightning activity during those lake effect storms? Did I did I capture that summary correctly, Doctor Steiger? Yes, yes. No, we uh, that was our main aim was to. You know, with, with wintertime lightning, it, it's kind of unique in that the clouds are a lot closer to the ground and uh, more likely maybe to interact with human-built objects. So, yeah, that was our, our main goals was to study how that lightning develops and um, if there are ways maybe we can learn about how that lightning interacts with turbines, maybe we can then help prevent damage to those turbines down the road. So yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was an uh, illuminating uh, project. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty shocking. Yeah. Mm, yeah yep. <laughs> don't get me started. Uh, I'll just go we down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll get worse, believe me. So, uh, Dr. Steiger to to conduct the study, you and your students deployed lightning sensors around uh, northern New York, northern Oswego County. If I remember correctly, uh, tell us a little bit about how you set the study up. Yeah, it was, the the process actually began about a year ago now. I remember in August and September, you know, I visited a lot of property, private property, public property, uh, to talk with people about whether or not we could uh, put some sensors down. And uh, the public, were, they were great. They were very welcoming, very excited about the project, and um, we were able to deploy these sensors. For example, at uh, school districts um, and also just, like I said, private property. Um, the actual lightning sensors it has a footprint of maybe four by four feet, you know, so it's not that big. I mean, the biggest part of it is a solar panel that powers the thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we deployed about, oh, I think there were about 16 sensors across uh, the Tug Hill region, uh, you know, east of Lake Ontario. Now, I, yeah. there, you also, um, during the storms, if I remember correctly, you also had a uh, a remote, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, Doppler radar, radar truck. Yeah. Yep. Tell yep, us. Yep, yep, yeah, we, yeah, we had one uh, mobile radar. It's called a Doppler on wheels. And, you know, if you've ever watched storm chasing movies or stories on oh, the Weather yeah. Channel, you'd see this thing. You know, it's uh, they, there's several of them now, but uh, we were able to um, essentially borrow one. Uh, it's run by the University of Illinois, and um, and the grant, it cost about $600,000 to bring it out and deploy it. True. <laughs> so it was an expensive piece of equipment. Wow. Because um, yeah. not only... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all, you know you got to pay for all the personnel to operate it, and then you know it's uh, you put a sophisticated piece of equipment like a radar on a truck that bounces that can cause some problems. So it's 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 expensive to run, uh, but well worth it for the data we collected in uh, our project and other projects like that study tornadoes, for example. So it's a very good piece of uh, equipment that we use to get up and close to the storms and then scan them really close, you know, within miles. And it gives us a lot of great data to tell us what's going on inside the storms that can be related to lightning, for example. Hmm. Now, uh, we started out the uh, show today talking a little bit about what the winter was like last year. We did have Hmm. uh, two pretty massive lake effect snowstorms early on, November, December, 
And then things calm down quite a bit, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. We started off with a bang. I mean, the 18th of November, 18th, 19th of November, we were up in your area, in your Watertown. As a matter of fact, the Doppler and Wheels was stationed at the airport, <laughs> at the Watertown airport. Okay. Um, so we had a great contact there. They were very, we, we also had a lightning sensor on the, at the airport as well, so very uh, good uh, connections there. I think uh, the manager's name is Grant Sussy, I believe. Right. Yes. That memory yep. serves. Yep, yep, great. Grant was very welcoming. Oh, very welcoming to me. He even let my students go around, get tours of the airport. It was really a great experience. Huh. But yeah, anyway, we you know we we had a big event, eighteen nineteen November, and then the band actually sunk south over Oswego on the twentieth of November. And one of the most exciting pieces of data we collected was one of my students had their iPhone looking outside the window facing one of the power stacks in Oswego. I don't know if you're familiar with the power yeah. stacks in Oswego. Oh yes, yes. It got hit by lake effect lightning during a snowstorm, and we got visual evidence of it. Wow, that's um, that's yeah. very lucky to do that. Wow. Oh yeah, huh. it's the first the first picture or video as well of lightning during a lake effect snowstorm I think I've ever seen. Yeah. So we collected yeah. data from the lightning mapping sensors and the Doppler on wheels, and we got a, a photograph of the lightning as well during the 20th of November event. Huh. So, so so that student sh- should have gotten an A, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh she's, she's a very good student. Caitlin Jesmont is her name, and she's doing very well. She's in grad school now at University wow. of Illinois starting this year. Wow. And uh, it, was, it, it lit up on Twitter like crazy. I mean, that was, that was really neat. Um, um, to get that photo. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I've been out in uh, lake effect storms when it when there's been lightning, and most of the time because of the snow, you don't see it. You don't see it. You see the yeah. bright flash, but you don't see the actual streak of lightning. So yeah, that yeah. would be pretty cool to actually get a picture of that. Yeah. yeah. Now was no, there uh, was there something in the setup for that early season snowstorm that was different or was there any real explanation of, you know, the weather uh, dynamics that set that early season to be as big as it was and to have the kind of lightning right out of the bat like that? Yeah, and, and- yeah, in meteorology, we focus a lot on patterns. You know, where's the low pressure? Where's the high pressure? How's it set up the wind flow? Does it bring in the cold air over the warm lake? And we just had an excellent pattern set up. And no- November, not every year, but November tends to be a big month for big snows mm-hmm. uh, downwind of the eastern Great Lakes and lightning during these snows. Okay. Um, so we just, it happened to be a great November for us in terms of getting data uh, collected during a lake effect lightning event. I mean, the, the, the lakes are warmer in November than they are later in the year, right. so that helps to make the clouds grow deeper um, and help to make that electrical electrification happen in, in them. So, yeah, just we just got, I, I, I kept calling it, even before the event happened, I called it a Super Bowl event because it really was the ideal event for our project. And uh, that November 18th to 20th event, that was just a really great event. Um, we got great data. The only only problem was with field work, it's, you can have problems like this. One of our key instruments wasn't working. We uh, couldn't get a particle. It essentially was something that goes up on a big weather balloon into the clouds that takes pictures of the particles in the clouds. And uh, we just couldn't get that to fly uh, during that 18th to 20th November event. But we did get, I mean, everything else worked well. We got great radar data, great lightning data, great electric field sounding data um, students were out measuring the snow fall on the ground so it was it was uh, overall a huge success and then you're right you know 
in December, there was uh, some activity, especially on Christmas. Um, you know, nation and worldwide, it made the news, the lake effect uh, around yeah. Christmas, especially in the Buffalo area. Um, but it also affected Watertown, and uh, we sampled the events. I think we sampled the events, you know, like a week before Christmas. Because during Christmas, you know, all the scientists and students went home for the holiday. So we weren't able to get a lot of great data on the actual Christmas or Christmas Eve event. But um, but then, yeah, January came, which is our peak lake effect snow season, and it got quiet. Yeah. January was extremely <laughs> yeah. quiet. Yes. <laughs> You know, to be honest, I was like, okay, because we had had so much snow. I, I was beginning to worry for uh, you know all the deer population and all that. I hate mm-hmm. seeing that early heavy snow stick around. So I was kind of happy yeah. it all went away. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. What kind of now, as far as results, um, you know, you had you had the big storms. You had a little bit of lake effect you know, on and off throughout the season. But overall, how would you summarize results that you were seeing, the data that you were collecting? Well, we collected data on 239 lightning flashes that occurred in frozen precipitation events. So that was that was excellent. You know, we got uh, quite a bit of lightning um, in, the, in the lake effect snowstorms. We also had students work on seeing how close the lightning occurred to the wind turbines, for example. And there were some key events, like those November events, where the majority of the lightning was associated with the wind turbines or other really? tall objects on the wow. tug hill. Yes. So, yes. so fact, there was one. yeah. So that I so, mean that does make it pretty interesting then that you were able to see data that you know shows some correlation to the existence of the wind towers that i mean yeah for you to say that so bluntly that's oh, pretty, yeah. pretty significant well and there was one event i'll never forget i was sitting in my office i pulled a couple of letters in my office because as you know these storms get intense at night you know yeah, where they're, yeah. they they don't stop just because the sun sets right so there was one event where the lake effect band was up near Watertown. I think it was, yeah, this was the, I think it was the November event, yeah, where the, the band was near Watertown and then uh, sunk south or, you know, slinked southward. Once the band went over the wind turbine fields, it lit up like a Christmas tree. There was like a lightning flash every minute. Really? And, um, oh, yeah, they, they got zapped. They got, there's no doubt in my mind now that the wind turbines have changed the lightning climatology mm-hmm. of this area, especially during the winter, during the winter time. So, yeah. so the lesson for us, you know, for us folks out here in the field is don't stand next to a wind turbine in a lake effect snowstorm. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, they, uh, they, they, yeah, it was, I, I'll never, I was like, it was like, uh, it was really, I don't want to sound, I want to, I was excited. You know, I, I hope there was no damage to the turbines, of course, right, no one right, got hurt. Right. but it was scientifically exciting to see the pan not making any lightning and then once it went over the turbines it just it was like zapped every minute wow. and um mm. you know the main concern you know i mean that's you know during a snowstorm most people are inside anyway so in terms of risk to human health it's really low during right, summer right. during yeah. winter time lightning events but those turbines i mean they can get damaged very uh can be extreme damage we're talking you know tens of thousands or hundred thousand dollars of damage when those things get hit so um not every time but you know that's something we really need to study more is you know maybe how can we learn how to protect better protect the turbines and prevent them from getting hit by this lightning um, that's that's down the road. I hope. Yeah. I'm wondering if you've comp- uh, if you've 
looked at research of lightning strikes on turbines during the summer thunderstorm seasons. Do the turbines draw more lightning strikes during a summer thunderstorm? Is there is there a comparison there that you can make? Is there a difference in the uh, the amount of lightning received in a summer thunderstorm at a excuse me a wind project? And is, is it is there a significant difference to what you see in a lake effect snowstorm over a wind project? That's a good question. We did some preliminary analysis um, using um, operational lightning data. There's, there's a lightning network that's operating um, across the United States and Canada right now, where we can. Um, it's not as high resolution as the lightning data we collected this past winter during the lead project, but still tells us like points, like where lightning strike. Whereas the, the lightning data we collected this winter mapped the lightning flash. Like imagine a hundred points mapping an actual flash. That's what we got this past winter. So using the lightning data that's op- operational, that just gives a point for each flash. During the summertime, we really didn't see let's say a hot spot of lightning activity around the turbines like we do during the winter. So I think it's more of a winter thing because the cloud bases are so much closer to the ground and the charge separation going on inside the clouds is much closer to the ground. So you put this big turbine that's rotating and I think I used this expression last time with you guys. It's like poking the bear, you know, it's just, (laughs) it's, you know, putting this sharp pointy object into the cloud that doesn't really happen during the summer because the cloud bases are so much higher. That is interesting. Well, that makes sense, though. Yeah, it, it at, does make sense. When you look at summer lightning thunderstorm events versus winter, the clouds are so much lower in the winter. I mean, they're yeah. ground level almost yeah, many sometimes. times. Yeah, yeah. Especially with the Tug Hill, how it goes up, you know, a thousand yeah. feet. You know, you're, you're that much closer to the base of the clouds. Um now, during the winter, during the summer, maybe they do attract or have get hit more um, than surrounding areas. I'd have to do more research on that, but preliminarily, I would I would say that this is mainly a winter thing, where you really see a hot spot of lightning activity associated with the turbines. Hmm. So, does that lightning have any impact on the lake effect storm itself? I mean, internally and and how the how the clouds react to that, or is there anything that happens there climatologically wise? There's, there's some research that suggests that when you have lightning, um, it can affect the snowfall rate. Um, some, in some ways, though, when you get lightning and lake effects snow, the snowflakes, you know, they're more particle like grapple, like ice chunks, like small mm-hmm. ice balls. And when that happens, the snow actually doesn't accumulate as fast on the ground because it's it's like these uh, little balls of ice instead of big Charlie Brown snowflakes that can accumulate quickly. <laughs> um, so I think there is a relationship with we call it in meteorology we call it microphysics. It's you know all the what's going on with all the particles in the clouds, the raindrops, the snowflakes, all that stuff. And I, I think there is a reason to believe that if lightning is happening, it's going to change or it's caused by a change in the microphysics of the clouds, you know, the snowflakes and so forth, how they're behaving, which can then affect how quick the snow accumulates on the ground. Okay. So um, that I'm definitely interested in trying to see if we can use lake effect lightning to better understand snowfall rates at the ground. What would be your, what would be your, your guess if, if you're, because I've always looked 
at lightning occurring as an indication that the storm is is building energy, which means potentially more snowfall. But you're you're saying, and I don't know if you you know if that was purposeful or not, but it, it sounds like you're indicating that potentially when lightning's occurring, the snowfall rate rate might decrease because the nature, the physical makeup of the snowflake itself has changed and, and gotten smaller. Am I, am I understanding that correctly or, or am I over overreaching on what I just said? No, you did, you did a good job explaining that. Um, you know, lightning generally is an indicator of storm intensity, summer or wintertime. You know, if you're getting lightning in a, in a storm, it means that let's say the vertical motions and the clouds are stronger. Um, the clouds are deeper. Um, so yeah, when you, when, like during the summer, when it's a thunderstorm, when you have lightning in a in a storm, that you generally have heavy rain probably in that storm as well, or heavier rain. But during the winter, it's 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 a deeper cloud. It's probably stronger vertical air motions in a storm with lightning versus without lightning. But the character, like you said, the character of the snowflakes, we believe, is different, and that can actually reduce the snowfall rate at the ground sometimes, even though it's a more intense storm by other measures, like the depth of the cloud is deeper, right? Um, so it's it can be kind of paradoxical there, if you will. Yeah. 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 Interesting. You did, you did a good job explaining that, yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Like yeah. we said in our first podcast, Ron and I are weather weather yeah. uh, geeks, if you yeah. will. <laughs> well, cool, you stop cool. and think about a summer thunderstorm versus a winter, you know, where you have lightning and a thunder summer thunderstorm versus a winter lake effect event mm-hmm. where, you know, a mm-hmm. summer thunderstorm kind of moves right on through and, you know, it's you can see it coming and it passes over and it's gone. A winter yeah. lake effect can go on and on and on sometimes right. for you know days, days. yeah and uh yes yeah. so yeah. almost totally different phenomenon yeah, yeah. Right? so uh, and it's a great lab it's a great laboratory for that reason that you know yeah. the lake effect just bandits can sit there yeah and out over the lake it's very what we call convective you have a lot of turbulent motions and strong updrafts and downdrafts and then inland it's more like uh it's actually a weaker in terms of updraft strength and you know mm-hmm. and the cloud can actually be a little shallower inland so it's it's but it just sits there so it allows us to sample it for hours so it's it is a great weather laboratory interesting very interesting so dr steiger what is next in regards to your research um does this conclude all of that research or or are you doing the study again this winter what what's next so um, the project is a three-year project, but the last two years are um, really data analysis with students. So I hired four students to work with me this summer, working full-time and analyzing the data, making plots. Um, we're going to be presenting our results at conferences. I'm currently we're working together on a paper. We're going to get published in a, in a peer-reviewed uh, journal. Um, so a lot of data analysis, a lot of presenting and paper writing. That's really, so the most exciting part of a research grant is, is like the first year, right? Because we're out there collecting data. Right. And then right. the next two years, are, they're still exciting, you know, because when we analyze the data, we kind of discover new things. Um, but um, it's it's not a lot of field work. Um, mm-hmm. Now, we are planning, because we do have some extra money in the grant, we are hoping and planning in two years, let's say, two winters from now, to do another mini-field project. Because, like I said, one of our instruments wasn't working very well, so we want to maybe redo the project, uh, maybe on two or three events versus 
the 11 events we did this past winter. But that might not be for a couple of years from now because the National Science Foundation, which funds our project, they want to see some data analysis uh, before they, they approve it, say, doing more field work. Yep. Well, very yep. interesting, very interesting. So, uh, Dr. Steiger, with the, we've, we've got about five minutes left, and I, I had mentioned to you when we were um, talking about doing the podcast today, um, the other question I, I wanted to pose to you Little, you know, different than the lightning research is El Nino that is, I, I don't believe it's set up yet, but is in the process of setting up in the Pacific. And mm-hmm. what impact the establishment of an El Nino uh, current or whatever you call it uh, has on lake effect snowstorms here in uh, the eastern Great Lakes. Is there is there an impact? Does it cause more lake effect snow or less lake effect snow? Or maybe we don't know uh, that real relationship between El Nino and lake effect snow. Well, there's a short answer and a long answer. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. The short answer is three words. We don't know. Um, okay. All right. <laughs> but uh, it's so hard to predict season, seasonal seasonal snowfall, seasonal temperature. I mean, that is definitely not my expertise. I, I My expertise is, and I'm, and I'm a humble expert at that, um, is forecasting one to three, one to five days out. Which is but about all predict- that's really yeah. possible yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. with any yeah. accuracy. Now, the idea behind forecasting a season is that, well, we can't predict three months from now what the exact high temperature is going to be, but there is some skill at predicting whether or not it'll be above average or below average um, precipitation or temperature. But I got to tell you guys, I've been following this stuff for years. And when the government comes out, the federal government comes out with their seasonal forecast, let's say uh, in September for this coming winter, uh, it's it's not super accurate. Right, right, <laughs> so, yeah. That's, uh, I, I, I mean, like last year, I mean, Oswego, we broke a record for all-time lowest seasonal snowfall in the past 100 years. Wow. We, <laughs> we only got 47 inches of snow in Oswego, and we averaged 140. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you, no government agency predicted that, right, that we would be yeah. that below normal. Right. No one. Right. And then, but then you guys in their Watertown were significantly above normal for snowfall yeah, yeah. because of those two big storms early in the year. Um, with an El Nino, generally, El Nino means a mild winter for the Northeast mm-hmm. United States. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are always exceptions to that rule. The past four winters have been extremely mild for Oswego, Syracuse, Rochester areas. Um, so even if it's a normal winter this year, it's going to feel to the public like, oh, this is a real bad winter, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, yeah. um, everything is relative. Know, yeah. Yeah. But if I, if I had to give my best educated guess, we're probably going to have another below average seasonal snowfall winter and above average seasonal temperature for this winter. That's my, my best educated guess based on what I'm seeing and what I've seen with El Nino's. It's looking to be like a pretty strong El Nino. It already is an El Nino, technically. Okay. And it's, yeah. it's strengthening. It's strengthening. Um, it'll probably reach its peak around December. Um, that's why it's called El Nino, by the way, because it was named after Peruvian fishermen um, noticing that the fishing was bad off the coast of Peru because the waters were so warm. And that happened around Christmas time. So El Nino, the Christ child, that's why it's called El Nino. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. You know, so uh, it will peak probably in December. And if I had to guess, 
Our winter will be mild and less snowier than normal, but it's probably going to feel like a snowier winter because it probably won't be as mild as it's been the past few years. Even though, like I said, it's all relative, right? Or like you said, I mean, Watertown, you had a lot of snow early in the season last year. So that that's the other thing with climate change we're thinking now is that it's not like snow's going to go away, but it's going to get less frequent. But when it does happen, it could be heavier events. And certainly last winter was a perfect example that with the lake effect snow, that generally lake effect snow events, they didn't happen that often last year. But when they happened, especially that November, December time frame, they were Big, big events. I mean, event. I mean, Watertown got like near Watertown, the nat- natural bridge. I think it's called the natural bridge. Is yep, that right? Yep, yes. Yeah. Yep. They, they got seventy-three inches in one storm. I mean, that's incredible. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, and, that's a uh, lot of snow you, all at once. Yeah. I got to tell you, the people from Oklahoma who were here to to launch weather balloons with us last winter, they they were like kids in a candy shop in that snow. They're like, "Oh my god, <laughs> we've never seen snow this deep." So uh, it was exciting for them. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Well, Doctor Stugger, I just want to say thank you very much uh, for doing the podcast with us last year. Uh, and doing this podcast with us, and for, folks may not realize it, uh, actually, uh, Dr. Steiger's been great. There's been a couple times where I've reached out to him, like for the earthquake podcast that yeah. we did. Dr. Steiger made the uh, recommendation of who to interview for that, and it ended up being phenomenal. I had high school science classes using that oh, podcast God. afterwards for weeks. Awesome. Um, so yeah, it was really great. And so you've, you've been a wealth of information and uh, we really appreciate, uh, being able to have these conversations with you, sir. Oh, it's been a pleasure. You guys are a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, if there's ever a time you need more weather information uh, or anything, you know, just let me know anything science-related. I can try to hook you up with the right people again. Well, very, very appreciated. Very appreciated. So, well, thank you very much, sir. You uh, have fun this winter. Yeah. And let's hope it doesn't come in November. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or if it comes, that it melts away like it did this last time. One thing real quick, you know, we... We're seeing crop development being late this year. Even though we had a very uh-huh. early planting season, crops went in the ground really early, came out of the ground quickly. And uh, But we had, during the longest days of the summer, we had all the smoke. And, mm, yeah. and yeah. you know, we didn't have the sunlight. And we just, and here in August, we've had a lot of cloud cover. And uh, yeah. so it's going to be a late harvest season this year. So we don't need no... Uh, three feet of snow on November eighteenth. No, 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 no. So. <laughs> You're anticipating you to... might still be doing some field work. Yes. Oh yes. boy. Oh boy. Yeah. yeah. Well, all right, gentlemen, we've got to wrap this up. Uh, Folks, thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, we've got another great podcast lined up for you next week. So uh, definitely come back and check it out. Uh, Have a great weekend, everybody. Take care. And we'll talk to you next time right here on Jay Madison's Rural America. Thank you for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America. Make sure to join us weekly. If you have any questions about the show, call Jay at 315-782-5865. For more information, visit www.agricultureevents.com or jcida.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America.